warning, the following show is intended for mature audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. We are live. Coffee with the Johns from Prime Hemp Quarters in San Antonio, what Texas. What, what was that from him? What is going on, everybody? Good morning. It is Friday the 30th, end of July, and Texas has had a very mild summer so far. My goodness, what is this going to mean for the fall? It rained again at my house yeah. yesterday. It, yesterday, it rained and it cooled off. I was outside barbecue and I was like, man, it's actually decent for the end yeah. of July when it's usually like 110 and yeah. like been 100s for a while. 110, little exaggeration, like maybe 102. Sure. I'm talking yeah. about being here in San Antonio. Um, but it's been nice. It's been nice. Uh, a lot of people are saying, you know, this is this means that we're gonna have summer going into October, November time frame. Others are saying, no, you know, I think we're gonna have another crazy winter like we did last year. Expect some snow, some crazy things going on, Texas shutting down again. I mean nuts. It's like you, it's like you want the world to burn. I kinda scared away. Weird. But um speaking of which, it just seems like we're about to go back into twenty twenty again. I mean, we're going to cover a lot of what's going on with this new uh, COVID variant. Uh, all these things that are going on, cities, government, everybody wants to start shutting down again, going back to full masks, yeah. you know, limit entry and all that. So we're going to cover a lot of that. We're going to cover uh, how a lot of those things are going to affect the real estate market and what has been going on with the real estate market. Lumber prices, material well, costs, everything. I think it's everything. like this uh, so-called the variant. Um, now that there's not political motivation behind an election going on the responses from a lot of different people is much different yeah uh, they're just like you know what we can't do this anymore We're, we 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 have to move past it so it's like well got what you wanted yeah i mean it's like now it's just like okay and it's also like economically it's like yeah we threw all this money at this thing and it's not going away so i guess like we just have to learn to live with it and you see country on the world doing that you see municipalities or, you see or governments, we throw see- more money at it I don't see them throwing more money at it. Yeah. But. What do you mean? That's what they've been trying for since Biden got elected. They're trying to throw a lot more money at it. No, they're trying, No, they're done throwing money at it. They're trying to do infrastructure and everything no, now. They were saying, because uh, um, now the whole thing is vaccines worldwide. So it's not just the U.S. They want the whole world to get vaccinated, right? Yeah. So in there's areas of the world that just, just don't have access. They can't afford it. So it's the U.S. contributing billions of dollars for vaccines okay, around well, the world so okay, that other you're seeing like here they're trying to like yeah. do more stimulus more unemployment more and so like, well yes about, that they are but not just heard, for the vaccines i haven't heard anything about yeah. so we're gonna talk about that i have a few topics on, regarding that but what i wanted to get into is uh you know as we're building we're finishing hopefully uh building the three houses that we have downtown and as we're getting started on this new construction, we got our lumber packages, which we talked about last week, that they were all over the place as far as pricing goes. But it got worse. I mean, we saw lumber prices are just taking a dive at this moment, right? You're seeing them in Home Depot almost every day that you're going in, they're cheaper. Mm-hmm. But there's other problems. What are the other problems that you've been seeing as far as well, other now, materials? Well, now it's become, uh, you see... 
So when you build a house, you got to think about like, what is the progress? Like first you got to put the lumber up. You got to build, put all the lumber and stuff like that. Then comes your insulation, your plumbing and your electrical. Then comes your sheetrock and then comes all your finish out stuff. Well, now the problem they're becoming is like they have a plethora of lumber coming in. Cause you think about it. So everyone's trying to build. So they lumber comes first. They pull all that lumber and there was huge shortages of that. Well, now all this lumber is coming back and prices are starting to fall again. So people are starting to build again. Well, what's the next stage after lumber? Well, you got your mechanical and your insulation. Well, now the problem is it's all the stuff post lumber packages that are running short towards like insulation, electrical, plumbing, windows, all those things are running in very short supply to where uh, I was at Home Depot the other day and where I was buying windows for our project and I uh, saw so they have tons of windows. She goes, oh yeah, we've actually been out for like two, three months and we just got this shipment in the windows uh, a few days ago. So we got a lot of windows. I'm like, I'll buy them all. I'll buy, I'm buying my whole project right now and I'm taking them out of the store right now because, and then later the next day I went there I'm like, Oh, it hasn't been picked yet until your special order windows come in. I'm like, mm -mm, I'm taking that. I'm not waiting six to eight weeks to get here and realize like my windows are not here yet. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like not happening. So I went and bought everything and we have a vacant house that I'm just storing everything at. And the same thing with the insulation to where I was hearing like, yeah, we're having a big problems getting insulation in. I was like, oh, shit. So I loaded up all the insulation in my truck and drove to the house. So now we just got insulation and windows in this undisclosed location of a house. Yes. The, the money house. <laughs> the money house. Uh, locked in, but barricaded behind a bunch of stuff. You can't even see it from the outside. Yeah. Uh, kind of tucked in the front corners. So nobody can see it. Um, but yeah, it's becoming an issue. I know um, plumbers have an issue. I'm seeing stuff on Facebook where the second stuff comes in. Uh, I saw a picture of an electrician. He's like, he bought up everything all the outlets all the plugs everything he needed he just bought it all up uh and then says so like well from when it goes out so it's kind of like that gas thing where everyone now when it does come in people hoard it yep. and it's like well that exacerbates the problem but i understand why they do it because it's, it's their livelihood same thing with gas it's like if i don't have gas i can't get to work oh well, and, so. and even in a construction like you can't have the delays that Say if you take the risk, and we we saw this in lumber too, where uh, our framer he's like, hey, I know a guy that's getting rid of I don't know how many sheets of plywood, two by fours, and everything because he bought more than he needed because he wasn't sure of what the hell was gonna happen. Now he's sitting on this all this inventory that he does has nothing to do yeah, with. Yeah, when it's like he bought but, it at sixty bucks, and yeah. now Home Depot's selling at thirty five. He's like, oh, shit, and so like, well, now prices are falling too fast. Exactly. So it's uh the exactly what you don't do is that he bought a high, now he's selling it low, and he's like, I got get rid of it before it goes lower, because mm -hmm. uh, where plywood used to be eight to twelve dollars depending on the size 15 bucks uh depending on thickness or it's, it's dropping and it's dropped from like in the last like two weeks from fifty dollars down to thirty two dollars or like if that keeps going he's gonna be losing even less now they're trying to sell it at like 20 25 trying to get rid of it well so, but but that's the risk that you take you have to uh, as a builder you have or even in construction you have to take that risk because you just don't know what tomorrow brings where it's still oh, better yeah. to have it and not need it, they need it, and not have it. And now your project is sitting well, for months. Well, that's also why. You know, that's also why prices increase too, because right. now they have to take on that or potential loss. They got to raise the price to say like, hey, if this stuff goes down, uh, I got to sell the inventory because then when it comes to construction, like if we can't get two by fours, we can't get lumber. Yeah. It's like there's not like anything else I can do. It's like until that house is framed and sheeted, I can't start putting electrical and plumbing in. I can't put windows in. So without the sheeting there, it's like, well, I got the framing up, but I can't get plywood. And that's so why they just sit there. what we're doing is what we sat down the other day that we looked at, all right, you know, all the phases of the project. And it's like, 
where are areas that we need to get ahead of it, even though we're possibly, you know, months away from getting there, but it's like, where are areas that we could potentially see a problem? Because if we need to, like you said, these custom windows that we're getting, which not insanely custom, but six to eight weeks out. Mm-hmm. I it mean, used to take three. Exactly. Like that, that's a huge delay. If you're thinking like you used to, you know, oh, that'll take three weeks. You know, we don't have to order right now. And then you wait for the time to order. Now, all of a sudden, it's like at least double that time. Yeah. What the hell do you do? I mean, I what, when we ordered a lumber package, he had to go to a different supplier because their normal vendors were out of, I guess, two by 20 foot two by fours. Yeah. So he had to go somewhere else and he found them. Uh, but I was really going to tell him, like, dude, if you can't find it, I'll take 22s. I'll take 24s. Whatever you need is like, I don't want to wait for 20 footers. If you have a larger size, you got to pay more for it. And that happened to us on uh, when we were building projects downtown last summer. And he's like, I, they're out of the 20 foot or 22, whatever it was. And he had to go up a size and two by fours or two by six to buy it. The lumber just so it didn't stop the project. Cause without it, like it's like, if at least if you get to the finish outs and past sheetrock, it's like somebody can work on the floor. Somebody can work on painting. Somebody can install cabinet. You get a lot of other different areas you can kind of work on to progress forward. But until you're in through sheetrocking, taping and floating and texturing, it's kind of a progress that goes one after the other. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's a big issue for sure. And in the topic of new construction, we have uh, some insider information. Of uh, Yeah. We, we have a buddy that's uh, part of the Greater San Antonio Builders Association, Gasaba. And apparently they're getting ready to sue the city of Cibolo. Because the city of Cibolo is limiting them to seven houses, to building seven houses uh, at a time per month. That, per that, builder. Per builder. That's the amount of permits that they're allowing because of their shortage of staff. That they just don't have enough people. Yeah. I mean, for, for somebody like us, that's nothing. But for these big builders, oh, yeah, we're, ta- doing... we're talking big, big guys. And I mean, yeah. anybody knows San Antonio, Cibolo is a very small town, but it's like become a, I don't want to quote unquote call it a bedroom community where it's just literally all houses or they have well, land and they're building massive it's communities. It's strategically over located because you have Cibolo that's like, yes, it's a small town, but it's right between San Antonio and your road to. Yeah, it's right next to shirts. It's basically New universal Bromples, city. It's all right there. Yeah. Heading up to Austin. So, I mean, the growth that we, that you're seeing in yeah, that area so is it's tremendous. tremendous. And then I, I, I it's kind of like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place for the city. Yeah. Cause I understand why they're limiting the builders. It's like we, by law, we have to inspect your electric. We have to inspect your plumbing. We have to service these buildings and take a look at it, which I say, just wipe away those laws and don't worry about it. But, uh, can't <laughs> that, that never regulation never goes backwards. Yeah. Um, so the city has to service by law has to do that. And by law, they apparently that's why the, obviously the builders feel like they have a case that says by law, you have to issue as many permits as we apply for. So the city's like, okay, so by law, I have to give you permits, but by law, I have to service these things and I can't hire the trained staff to service these things. Yeah. So that's, it comes down back down to labor shortages again, where it's like, we can't hire. And then it's like, well, the only way to hire is raise budgets. Well, city budgets go off of election cycles and Congress. So they not just can't say, you know what, we're just going to raise all these prices. We're going to redo everything. So it's a little harder for them to raise money. Um, and I feel for the builders too, because I understand with those guys, it's like, dude, they're production builders. Like you slow down their production and they're holding costs, their interest, everything just kills them. Towards only you can only build seven houses per month per builder. Like, 
they're probably used to building like 20, 30, 40 houses every single month. And now they're limited way down to where it's like, I can't keep the crews busy. I can't get the labor. They're going to somewhere else. They can't compete essentially. So, and that, that's the problem right there too. It's it besides all of that is like at seven houses, you're losing crews. You're losing workers that they have to go somewhere else and find work and find all this that now if when it picks back up again or you get the chance you can't you know now you don't have the crews now you got to go back and build that stuff up which we know takes a ton of work so it's like yeah it's a big big problem but i have an article here that it's uh the u.s gdp falls short as supply chains disruptions labor shortages stunt the comeback so you have the gross uh domestic product which is the broadest measure of economic performance grew at 6.5 percent annual rate during the second quarter according to advanced estimate release on thursday analysts surveyed the uh by refinitive whatever were expecting 8.5 percent growth so it only grew 6.5 percent versus 8.5 that's a huge difference especially when it comes to gdp and the first quarter GDP was already revised to 6.3 from 6.4. But businesses have since the economy reopened navigated supply chain issues caused by factory shutdown uh, to help slow the spread of COVID. They have also struggled to find workers as extended unemployment benefits have encouraged many to stay home. The issue have combined to lift Poor personal consumption expenditures, the Federal Reserve's preferred inflation measure to 3.4% annual growth, the fastest since 92. So they're saying supply chains are far from getting back to normal. And the story of the COVID-19 pandemic, including variants, is far from being finalized. So you're having the economy is not growing as much as they were anticipating, as they want it to grow. Because of the supply chains, because of the slowdown, because of everything that people are not getting back to work fast enough. Supplies, supply chains, truck drivers, all of this, we talked about it before, like Canada is packed with lumber, right? But they have nowhere to transport the lumber to. They have no transportation to get the lumber anywhere. It starts affecting everything. We talked about this, you know, chain reaction of what's going on and it keeps causing inflation and everything to go higher. So when you look at all those things and you're looking at, all right, so these businesses are hurting. I saw another article where they're, they're like uh, the owners of grocery stores and everything. They're like, We're, this is not an, uh, what, did, what did he say? This, this is not like read between the lines. We're telling you directly, prices are going to go up, mm-hmm. period, <laughs> right? Like everything is going to go up. Inflation is officially here. And the thing, when they say this is uh, transitionary or transitory inflation, what are your thoughts that things are going to go up, but then they're not going to come back down? Because let's say like lumber, lumber shot up, right? So it's understandable when something shoots up, it's going to come back down, right? But when something like food, clothing and stuff like that incrementally go up, do you anticipate that coming back down to a normal level? Or do you think that they're just going to stay at those levels now? Because it's kind of like... It'll probably come back down some, but it's never going to get back to like 
lower levels again. Yeah. I mean, you just look at like the price of like gold and silver, like pre pandemic, it was in like the low, the high teens, low twenties. And now it's up in like 24, 26, same with gold up in the 1800, 15, 16, 17, 1800 range when it was down in like the 1400 range before. So it's like, it's kind of like, there has been an adjustment and there has been like yeah. a raise, like, but it's, I highly doubt it's going to go back down to levels. And it might, if supply chains go way up, they overproduce and things go way back down and then they come back up. And they're going to balance. But when I think things finally stable off and get back to kind of a quote unquote normal inflation yeah. rate, like it's going to settle in higher than what it was two years ago at a faster rate than it normally would. Cause prices go up every single year. Um, they average like two to 3% every single year. So that's something that uh, I think is going to, it's where yeah, it's but then settle. you have the issue that wages don't go up as drastic. Right. So you have a lot of these people that their expenses are going up, their wages aren't because I mean, let's let's say what it is. This is not about, you know, the employer's fault or anything, but no company is going to be able to just say, okay, what's milk now? All right. Well, here's a little bump on your salary every month, you know, because we, you know, things keep getting expensive. So wages aren't going up as drastically as they need to be to keep up with this inflation. So then people are being forced to start calculating where they're going to be spending, right? So then you have usually what happens, especially when people do live paycheck to paycheck. The b number one thing that gets cut is fun, entertainment, things like that. So do you feel like there's going to be an effect in that consumer space as inflation keeps going, but wages don't keep up? Well, that's what I was kind of saying. I, I wouldn't speak too fast on that. Is like uh, I have an article in here uh, from mm -hmm. a few weeks ago, and it talks about companies hiking wages at unprecedented rates, uh, but likely a one-off. So they're we're raising wages cons like a very rapid rate, the fastest they've done in a long time. But once they get to that, they get their employment forces back. Don't expect them to continue to rise like that. So it's one of those that like it's all happening at once. Inflation and higher wages are all happening at the same time. It's just kind of like which one's going to taper off first. And I bet it's going to be the wage increases right. that are going to taper off first. So well, I I don't know. Yeah, and then. I mean, the next thing I wanted to cover is like, <laughs> like this COVID thing, just what we talked about before, it's not going away. Now we have this variant, right? And now we have all of these things that are happening with uh, this new variant with the vaccine. So I have this article here where it says business owners are saying, get vaccinated or fired. I mean, that's just nuts to me. Uh, you have billionaire Ken Langone told CNBC on Wednesday that all of his businesses will mandate employees be vaccinated against COVID once the shots receive full approval from the FDA. You get the FDA to say it's final, it's approved, and I can guarantee you all the places I'm involved in, if you don't get vaccinated, you will get fired. Uh, you have an obligation to your fellow man to protect him as well as yourself. He's also the co-founder of Home Depot. Uh, he is not on the Home Depot's board, and a Home Depot spokeswoman on Wednesday added that his uh, point of view is not a, does not reflect Home Depot. So apparently they're kind of saying, like, he can say whatever he wants, but Home Depot is not saying that at all. Yeah. Well, it's also one of the things you have the legality aspect of that, like, can they fire people versus the HIPAA violations and stuff like that? Like saying like, I'm sure there's court battle after court battle. It's going to come from that. It's like, yeah. can you fire somebody from not wanting to take a vaccine? 
So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think one of those things, like especially that we've been hearing, you know, this past year, past couple of years of the whole woke movement and all yeah. this nonsense is that, you know, the whole abortion thing, my body, my choice, this and that. So it's like, you know, the vaccines, where does it fall within that? Because they, they keep saying how, you know, oh, you, you got this is uh, your responsibility to protect your fellow man. Like, well, I've been hearing a lot. I'm not a scientist, so I don't make up things every other week. I mean, I don't I don't know what the, the science is behind all this, but they are saying how the vaccine doesn't actually stop you from spreading it. It just stops. It just makes it less severe in case you do get COVID. But it doesn't stop you from spreading COVID at all. So if the vaccine is not stopping you from spreading it and it only helps yourself, then where's the, you know, you have a responsibility to your fellow man whole thing come. I, I don't, the hospital rate maybe, you know? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like It's the hospitalization rate aspect yeah. of it. Where, like, the reason COVID, if that were to be true, uh, yeah. There, that's a good reason why rates have, yeah, we both, did. yeah, like what? Um, that's why rates have been dropping. It's like everyone's like, well, I'm vaccinated now, so I just, I don't, it can't be COVID. I just have like a slight cold. So they just don't go get tested. Yeah. So it could be dropping there. And then, well, from what I heard, is it just that? Like I hear people that they're like, well, I've been vaccinated, so I can just go about my life and everything. And then they're saying, well, no, you can still spread it. And it's like, okay. So what did you just jab me with? <laughs> so what are we doing here? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's it's very tricky. It's a difficult situation. So then it continues. The article continues that the CDC uh, update updated its mask guidance to recommend that fully vaccinated people begin wearing masks indoor again in areas with high covid transmission rates. While federal health officials believe Fully vaccinated individuals represent a small amount of transmission. Some vaccinated people can still carry higher levels of viral load than previously understood and possibly transmit it to others. Yeah, there was a lot that came out of like this ordinance that came out by them. Where like I know the House, like Nancy Pelosi, the House representative, said, "Oh, you, they arrest anybody that comes on site without a mask." And that they're supposed to like kind of tattletale on like house representatives and stuff like that for not wearing masks. And apparently like yesterday or this morning or something like that, like dozens of Republican house representatives just stormed in, not wearing masks and protested on the house floor about like, we're not wearing them like bullshit. And then even teachers unions now are saying like, Hey, uh, since the CDC's new mandate came out, we might not actually be able to open up schools again uh, this fall. Mm. I was like, "Oh my God!" Here we continue to go. Yeah, like, we're 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 actually keeping a close eye on it because <clears throat> my boy's uh, gonna be going back to school. At least we want him to go back to school. But when they started, when this whole thing started happening again, we just kind of paused. And we're like, "Well, oh, here we, crap! Here we go! Here we go again!" And and I mean, let's continue. Like okay. now, you have Biden is encourages encourages vaccine incentives announces requirements for federal workers. So President Biden is stepping up efforts to get shots in people's arms, including calling on states, territories, and local governments to do more to incentivize vaccination by offering $100. Woo! <laughs> to those who you can get buy vaccine. a tank of gas, baby. <laughs> yeah, I filled my drug up yesterday, yeah. 70 bucks. It's like, God damn it. Yep. So for those who get vaccinated and reimbursing small and medium-sized businesses, 
for offering their employees uh, paid leave to get family members vaccinated. I know that paying people to get vaccinated might sound unfair to folks who have gotten vaccinated already, but here's the deal. If incentives help us beat this virus, I believe we should use them. Uh, we all benefit if we can get more people vaccinated. So he also announced that federal government employees and on-site contractors will be asked to attest to their vaccination status and will require anyone not fully vaccinated to wear masks at work, regardless of their li- uh, where, regardless of where they live, social distance, and get tested once or twice per week. Oh. Um, employees can also face restrictions on official travel. So it's li- and he goes on to say that it's literally about life and death. Uh, that it's that's what it's about. So this is Biden talking, of course. He kind of <laughs> rambles on a lot of times. Uh, I know people talk about freedom, but I learned growing up, school, and my parents, with freedom comes responsibility. Your decision to be unvaccinated impacts someone else's. Unvaccinated people spread the virus. Um, they get sick and fill up our hospitals. And that means if someone else has a heart attack or breaks a hip... So he's worried about old people. There may not be a hospital bed for them. Um, he also directs the Department of Defense to look into how and when they will add COVID vaccinations uh, to the requirement vaccinations for military. And I mean, yeah, he's encouraging all cities, everybody to start pushing, incentivizing and kind of forcing people to get vaccinated. And I heard somewhere in the Northeast, I think it was Jersey, like they're pretty much going door to door, pressuring you to get vaccinated. They're like Mm. knocking on people's door, pressuring people to get vaccinated. Kind of crazy. I'd love to see people try that. Not necessarily in the big cities in Texas, but to the smaller cities that are still very red and very like, get the fuck off my lawn kind of people yeah. like ooh, they're, it's like i'm gonna pressure you it's like i got your pressure right here get off my lawn like yeah, yeah i could see that going just down. simply door knocking them to see if they wanted to sell the house you get oh threatened. yeah we've had guns pulled on us <laughs> doing that it's like okay okay man i'm out i'm out i'm out jesus so and, and to kind of wrap this up a little bit what i like is that you have all these things going on and then you have texas so <laughs> you have governor abbott Uh, He came out with a new order for local government. So as COVID-19 cases and hospitalizations in Texas climb to levels not seen since the beginning of the year, local officials have asked uh, Governor Abbott to reverse his statewide prohibition on mask mandates in schools and government buildings. So what did Abbott do on Thursday is he responded with a new executive order that does the opposite. (laughs) I find this so funny. Like Everybody's asking him, like, please do this. He's like, yeah, fuck you. I'm going to do this instead. Yeah, because, I mean, uh, Wolf, I saw something where Wolf and uh, Nuremberg yeah. wrote a letter to the because uh, apparently he passed an exec- he passed an executive order earlier or made a statement or something earlier this summer that said we're the time of mask wearing we're done it's about personal okay. responsibility now and they wrote it's like please let us implement uh mask mandates in what was it uh well i have it here so oh, okay so he even says so he responds in this executive order that um further removing tools from local governments to enact policies that public health experts say would help mitigate the spread of COVID-19, including mask requirements, capacity limits, 
and vaccine mandates. In the statement, Abbott said the executive order emphasizes that the path forward relies on personal responsibility rather than government mandates. Texans have mastered the safe practices that help to prevent and avoid the spread of COVID-19. They have the individual right and responsibility to decide for themselves and their children whether they will wear masks, open their business, and engage in leisure activities. So under the executive order, uh, government entities cannot compel any individual to receive a COVID-19 vaccine administered under an emergency use authorization. Uh, Likewise, any public or private entity that is receiving or will receive public funds through any means cannot require consumers to provide proof of vaccination in order to receive services or enter. That language is similar to a bill that Abbott signed earlier this summer. The new order removes the ability for of local officials to reduce business capacity if COVID-19 hospitalization exceed 15% of total hospitalization ca- uh, capacity in the region for seven consecutive days. So even if we hit over that 15%, it doesn't matter. Uh, Businesses cannot don't are not forced to reduce the capacity of people. You can choose to, but they're so not pretty forced much, to by government right. officials. So they're pretty much restaurants, down, bars. bars. Yeah. yeah. The executive order also um, makes clear that government entities, including school districts, cannot require face masks or enact other restrictions. Abbott's mandate comes days after San Antonio Mayor uh, Nuremberg and the county judge Nelson Wolf pending letter to the government seeking his permission to allow schools to require face masks. So then they talk about how you have cases that have been going up. On Wednesday, reported 10,000 new COVID infections for the first time since February 9th. And hospitalization rates have quadrupled to 695 uh, on Thursday. So that's a lot. So let's let's unpack that a little bit as and related to business, real estate, and everything, right? So you have the federal government that's asking for pretty much like no federal employee uh, is pretty much allowed. And we talked to a buddy of ours that works for the airline industry where they're like, yeah, you're not forced to get vaccinated, but you kind of are. Well, I, <laughs> I, I saw the, the same kind of ordeal where... They said they can't force you to do it, yeah. but the restrictions they can put upon you if you don't is just like it makes it unbearable to work. It's like yeah. you have to separate, you have to wear masks, you have to wear stuff, you have to wear all this safety gear yep. and crap. And you're just like, I just look like a freaking like a bubble boy walking through the place if I do that. And it's like, well, get vaccinated, you don't have to do that. So it's not like they can force me to do that, but they can make it very uncomfortable to work there or very isolated where it's like oh if you're unvaccinated you have to stay so many feet away and you have to go to a separate part of the uh, office and you have to sit in there They're like i could see them doing that aspect or something like the, the one guy that that billionaire said oh, i'm gonna force everybody to do it and it's like i don't know if they can force them to do it but they can force restrictions on under like health and safety measures for their people to like yeah. make it very uncomfortable to work well there. even they even don't. when he says you know if you don't get vaccinated you get fired I'm sure HR and everybody's like, uh, you know, we get you're a billionaire and all that, and you can probably talk out your ass, but you can't fire somebody for being vaccinated. Okay, what can we fire them for then? You know, they're going to come up with ways. So it is uh, what I do like about the way that he came out with this order, that it's not so much like what he did at the first part that I 
kind of found it fucked up is like after they put all this fear in the market and everything, then they put it back on the businesses. Okay, here, now you make your decision. It's like, you scared the shit out of everybody. Now you want me to look like the asshole? You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of messed up. But now he's saying like, you can't force restrictions. You know, you can't force vaccination, masks, or restrictions where you can, you start pretty much coming up with other creative ways to, you know, hurt people that don't want to get vaccinated. Right. Well, so like now, he's taking all those things away. Well, now it's just like, the, okay, we've had, we've been living with this. We understand this a lot more, but uh, it's one of those that like, lost my train of thought there. We've been living with it. We yeah. understand it. And it's like, now we realize what we, we, we see the, how, how well it spreads and how many people actually get sick, how many people recover from it to where it's like, okay, we, this, we went too far with it. It's obviously not going away. So we're just gonna have to learn to live with it. So it's like, if you're scared of it, it's yeah. upon you to protect yourself. And it's like, we're no longer saying we're going to shut down the commerce because it's like the, the, what we saw last year and into the beginning of this year, it's like, it's just absolutely ridiculous, ridiculous and unsustainable of like what we can do to combat the thing mm-hmm. we can't just everybody shut down the entire economy just go backwards and it's like you would just completely destroy the entire world if we did that yeah and so uh, now it's like texas is just like hey we're done with this like we need to learn to live with it it's going to be around if you're scared i'm so sorry but it's upon you to choose yourself we're not going to force everybody to do this because a small subset is extremely scared and, of it. And, and you can tell that it's a small subset when you Especially, I'm talking about where we live, right? I'm not saying the whole nation or any of that. I'm saying where we live. Go to restaurants. Go to bars. Go anywhere. Places are packed. Yeah, they Everywhere are. you go. Nobody's wearing a mask. So when you're looking at it, it's like you look the majority at that group, of people yeah. just don't, don't care anymore or, or they're, they're okay. They understand what it is, right? They, they're like, yes, I get it. I get it, right? It's like the risk of getting the flu or like getting any other thing, right? It's like... Some people are going to be more at risk than others. Like, if you feel like you're more at risk, take the proper precautions so you don't get sick. Eat at home. I mean, order out. There's a million options. There's a million options nowadays. It's not like, you know, we're two decades ago where you didn't have those. You can literally live out of your house if you're that scared yeah. or put yourself in a whole bubble suit if you want to like, go groceries somewhere. can be delivered grubhub can bring your food to you it's like everything you know, alcohol if you can get, be delivered yeah alcohol can be delivered <laughs> you live at like if you work from home live at home like you could never leave your house where, if where, you chose to where i see this affecting let's say real estate is this is going to give maybe a second leg to everybody that was debating leaving places like california and new york and stuff like that to now saying, you know, because now a lot of these places are starting to go back to shutting down, going back to, you know, limiting the capacity, doing all these restrictions, where it's like, I can see this causing a second wave of people wanting to move back to places like Texas and Florida and areas like this. It's like, yeah, you guys are getting rid of all these men and I'm tired of living in a bubble when I don't personally care about this. Well, I mean, uh, your home state uh, put an article out your buddy uh, Andrew Cuomo. Um, so they realize the that they realize the detriment this has to an economy. When you say, "Oh, we're shutting down," and people leave, and they're like, "Oh my God, you can't leave New York City." So Andrew, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is calling for companies to end remote work and bring staff back to the office by Labor Day, which is what's that first week in September? So like just over a month away, and now you have these variants surging and stuff like that. In order to support the local businesses. 
or New York City will suffer. In a virtual meeting with the Association of Better New York, Cuomo said that while remote work, like remote schooling, was okay in the short term, people need to return to being in person. He says, quote, remember, we have to get people back and we have to get people back in volume. If you were to see a 15% decline of people coming back to New York City, that would be a devastating impact on the commercial market, Cuomo said. We need people coming back. Say to your workers, by Labor Day, everyone is back to the office. We need that volume to support the restaurants and the shops and the services. It's not just about your business. It's about all the spinoff effects. It's about all the spinoff effect economic activity. Wow, that's a tongue twister. That your workers bring to the surrounding community. So it's just like looking at Cuomo, like yeah. he was the biggest component fighting this thing, shutting everything, locking everything down last year. And now he's like, okay, please come back. Please come back. You have to come back. Oh my God. I'm just trying to pressure people. It's like, this is why I hate politicians. Like a flip flop to their narrative. So this comes almost eight months after Cuomo faced criticism for shutting down indoor dining in New York city in December after they had previously reopened at limited capacity. The infection rates were at one point or 2.7% in New York city, even though Albany, Westchester, all of them are at six, 7%. But New York City was the only one shut down. So it really feels like he was preying on New York. That's what I was asking before we start. Does Cuomo and the mayor like of New York City not get along and he's trying to use his power to push and shove each other? So closing indoor dining in New York City will severely jeopardize the survival of countless small businesses and jobs. And now it's more important than ever that all levels of government pass critical support to help save the industry. Exactly one month later, Cuomo seemed to pull a reversal, stating that an economic reopening could not wait for mass vaccinations to take place. We simply, quote, we cannot stay closed until the vaccine hits critical mass. He says, January 11th, the cost is too high. We have nothing left to open or we will have nothing left to open. We must reopen the economy, but we must do it smartly and safely. They're like from one month, he's like, we need to shut everything down. The government needs to support all these people. And then he's like, just kidding. We can't say low. We can't wait for a critical mass. We got to open like January 11th. Like that was like right after like the middle of the surges before vaccines started really rolling out in the masses. And he's like, uh, okay, now that everything's over from last year, we know what happened last year. As far as the elections go, uh, we're going to reverse our course. And now we're going to say, we need to bring people out. We need to reopen. We need to get all these people back here. So it's like, you just literally... I think it's disgusting what the politics on both sides did with this whole pandemic thing where we talked about it last year. It's a perfect storm of what uh, between elections, world powers, and this thing coming out around when it did to where it just, it was used for a political tool in 100%. a lot of sense. Yeah. So it's well, just, that's that just proves it right there. When, uh, in the group that we have a few buddies of ours that we talk about vaccines and all of these things, it's just my thing is like what makes it difficult, it makes it, at least for myself, it makes it hard to decide whether or not like you would get a vaccine or not or how serious uh, COVID, um, COVID really is or, or how serious it's not because you listen to the politics. It's been completely politicized. So you look at the vaccine, it's like, okay, well, areas are saying that if I get the vaccine... I'm still more likely to spread the vaccine because now I have more of it in my system that I can potentially spread. It doesn't mean that I can't get it. Okay. So, and it's not, F, it's not even FDA approved yet. It was it approved for, for emergency, emergency purposes. 
you know so it's not fda approved so which is you know any doctor that you've spoken to and everything they're like yeah it didn't go through the proper procedures of what vaccine and medicines go through so i look at all those things and i was like uh, i don't know if i want to be uh one of these guinea pigs you know what i mean like i don't know I, i'm I don't know. Yeah. And, but then you look at it and it's just being used consistently for political ploy on, on either side. It's not like one side or the other. They're both using it. Oh, yeah. So then it makes it hard for us to determine like, well, damn it. Like, what what do you do? How serious is this? Who do you trust when even scientists, doctors, they're all politically driven. They're all money driven. That's like, well, what's left for us? So, I mean, I do have an article and I added this uh, for last week, but we didn't get to it to where it's like how nations are learning to let it go, quote unquote, let it go and live with COVID. So England has removed nearly all coronavirus restrictions. Germany is allowing vaccinated people to travel without quarantines. Outdoor mask mandates are mostly gone in Italy. Shopping malls remain open in Singapore. 18 months after the coronavirus first emerged, governments in Asia, Europe, and Americas are encouraging people to return to their daily rhythms and transition to a new normal in which subways, office, restaurants, and airports are once again full. Increasingly, the mantra is the same. We have to learn to live with the virus. Yet scientists warn that the pandemic exit strategy may be premature. Place... Places like Australia, which shut down its borders, are learning that they cannot keep the virus out. You need to tell people we're going to let get a lot of cases, said Dale Fisher, a professor of medicine at the National University of Singapore, who heads the National Infection Prevention and Control Committee of Singapore. Jeez, that's a long title. Health Ministry. And that's part of the plan. We have to let it go, he said. Officials in Singapore announced plans to gradually ease restrictions and chart a path to the other side of the pandemic. The plan includes switching to monitoring the number of people who fall very ill, how many require intensive care, and how many may need to be intubated instead of infection rates. Singapore has fully vaccinated 49% of its population and, cited, and has cited Israel, which is furthest, which is further ahead at 58%. As a model, Israel has pivoted to focusing on severe illness, a tactic that officials have called soft suppression. It is also facing its own sharp rise in cases, up from single digits a month ago to hundreds of new cases a day. The country released recently imposed an indoor mask mandate. So I think that's what you're going to start seeing. And like you see with Abbott, where it's like, hey, we're not going to shut everything down. We're not going to create all this stuff. We're going to track different metrics. Because mm -hmm. now as you've moved through uh, all of last year and stuff, it's like, okay, high infection rates does eventually attribute to people getting very ill, but we can't shut everything down because just infection rates. It's like we have to track different metrics now because we can't keep going by the yeah. previous metrics. Otherwise, we shut everything down and the whole world economy just comes to a screeching halt. So – you yeah. And you see all the issues that we're having now because of what happened last year, even though we are reopening, like high prices, labor shortages, and all the issues that could come with that through the economy. Well, I mean, it's one of the things that, like, again, looking at the metrics, you know, I look at the amount of deaths that we've had in the world because of this. I'm like, I don't know. The overall scheme of the size of the world and the amount of deaths – I so don't understand the severity of this uh, virus. Well, it was also the thing that um, was it Tony Robbins came out and said, if you looked at 2020, to the deaths of 2020 to 2019 to 18, 17, all those, like within a statistical margin of error, the number of deaths around the world stayed relatively the same. The only thing that changed was heart rates, cancers, and 
other everything else dropped and COVID cases increased in the same proportion in 2020 to where it like, okay, so the same number of people died and you didn't like, so it wasn't obviously extremely deadly killing half the world population as like within a margin of error. It's like, but you just classified everything as COVID deaths. Yeah. So, well, and th- and that's that too, right? Where it's like, we don't know if they actually did drop or if they had that and COVID. So they marked it more as COVID related than cancer related or something else. You know what I mean? Because at, at the time hospitals and everything were being incentivized, I give, they were getting a lot of money if they died because of COVID, you know what I mean? So it's like, which one actually, you know what I mean? Was the cost. But that being said, going back to business and real estate and everything, these are things that you got to keep in mind because as the, this variant goes and everybody pushes people that want, I guess, the freedom to choose whether they get vaccinated, where do their kids go to school, all these things. The more you have people like that, the more they're going to look for states and cities and places to live that support their way of thinking. And got to look at it when you have this population and you especially see like, you know, how restrictive it gets in California and California is not all blue, right? You have a lot of Republicans in California and you have a, and I even think you have a lot of Democrats that are more centered than anything else that they're just like, hold on. Like, you know what I mean? I, I, I don't care. Or I already got COVID. It's fine. I'm young. I'm healthy. Whatever it may be. It's like you're taking my ability to choose. You're shutting everything down. I'm losing my business. I'm doing all this. It's like those are the things that I think move the economy and move the market. And I mean, on this topic, here's another thing I wanted to hit again because we had our mastermind recently and we talked about are we seeing a cool down in the real estate market? I think this would be another cause for real estate market to stay even hotter. You know what I mean? When you have the state of Texas being one of the states that's just like business as usual. Yep. Everything, schools, businesses, everything is business as usual. Yeah, I think that's, uh, uh, I mean, what he just recently passed and like people asking them to reverse course and go that direction. I think it's it's a big, big notice to the the U.S. is like, hey, Texas is open for business. Yep. We're done with this. If you want to live free, you want to get away from this stuff, come on to Texas. And if you don't like it, hey, you have the choice to leave yeah. if you want. Um, Val put in here, just like she asked, uh, basically, I'm just curious if a lockdown will come from the president. I read that they will follow the CDC. So if the CDC says to shut down, what they will consider it. And then how will states react? I think Texas would just be like, no. I think that would, if they tried to say that everybody needs to shut down again, the Biden administration tries to put that stuff down, or I think there are like the South, a lot of states would be like, nope, you can piss off, not going to do it. What are you going to do about it? Like how they're going to hold all this funding, we're going to hold all this stuff. I think you would get a huge, like, I don't want to say civil war, but you would get like in like the governments to where like, they just not people killing each other, but you would just have people just like, what damage can I cause the government? What could government do back to the states? And they, you'd have this huge tension between them if, if they were to go that route. Because I don't oh. think, uh, unless it got super bad for some reason. Yeah. Um, but well, Val, Val asked me, she's like, do you think it would be something that, like if they try to force Texas, that all of a sudden Texas rises up? And I was like, honestly, 
I don't have the faith in people have the balls to do something like that. I think people are just too soft nowadays. Like they're just way too soft. Everybody's a keyword warrior, you know? And I think if there was a civil war of sorts, it's not going to be an actual like physical war. I think it's going to be more of a, you know, protest and not going to work. I think it's going to be more financial yeah. and like, you know, schools shut down, government shut down, like, you know, stores, you would, you, I'd say it's kind of like stuff like, like that. <laughs> Jim Rickers, it'd be like more of like a currency war to where yeah. it's like fighting with their own money to where it's not yes. currency between the yen versus the dollar and stuff like that. No, it's like U.S. dollars versus U.S. dollars where the state supports a lot of money, sends a lot of money to the federal government. The government sends a lot of money to the states yeah. back and forth to where it's like, well, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. We're not going to maintain your roads. Well, we're not going to send you our tax dollars. Uh, or even like, see, oh, we have all the truck drivers here. Well, guess what? They're not leaving Texas now. Yeah, you could see <laughs> a lot of stuff like that. And there would be some spillover, some protests, some national yeah. like. I'm sure some people would get uh, die over some violent, but it wouldn't be everybody rising up and fighting like that. That no. that time, I think, in our society we, evolved. is gone. <laughs> like in the first world countries, you're not going to see that kind of stuff. Yeah. You see that stuff in your Middle East and your lower tier countries thing that you still see those fightings and stuff going on because you don't have the Netflix. developed economies. You don't have the, Netflix. Inter- yeah. <laughs> They're bored. Yeah, it's like you don't have the the interconnectedness yeah. of the economies to really go after stuff like that. And it's like it just it doesn't happen. So I don't think that kind of rise up is going to happen. But I do see people saying like, you know what? I'm not going to pay my taxes. Not going to do it. So you could see people doing that, moving to cash side, get away from. I could see those kind of wars kind of battling out if things were to get really bad. But yeah. Let's hope that uh, it never does, because that would not be fun to live through. No, no, by all means. I mean, all these things that we're talking about, you, we are talking about worst case scenario. And this isn't fear mongering what we're doing. What we're doing is in case these things happen, are you prepared? Right. What would you do? Because that's that's the I mean, that's how I live my life. That's how we run our investments. We always start what's worst case scenario and we work backwards from there. Right. I mean, that's I think that's just a very prudent thing to do with your life is if you can handle the worst case or you can be prepared for the worst case. Then the best case scenario is going to be. Easy, right? Not a problem. But if you are over here thinking of all roses and then something happens from, you know, the best case scenario to the worst case, something in that level happens, you're completely unprepared. You have nothing to do. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. You become a victim of whatever's happening. Where what we're saying is like, hey, there's a chance that this may happen. That may happen. This. Are you prepared? If you're prepared, then it is what it is. You know, you. Yeah. I don't think you have that fear and, and hesitation and stress in your life anymore. Hey, podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you're enjoying the show. And if you want to get very exclusive insider tips and strategies that nobody else is getting, then you need to join our text community by texting podcast to 210-794-9898. That's 210-794-9898. Text the word podcast and you will start receiving insider information Things that are happening that we're realizing that we're implementing in real time that other people have no access to. So make sure you text us now. Now back to this show. But with that being said, uh, let's talk a little bit about um, what do you think? We have a few real estate topics, business, inflation. What, what do you want to get into? 
Uh, Sorry, I just, I just saw something pop up that uh, Mayor Ron Nuremberg just put out a video. Says, "Please, San Antonio, get fully vaccinated on Facebook." Like blasting it out, just like, Brady, please, 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 please. Um, okay, yeah. Beyond that, I'm, I'm over this thing. Let's move on. Okay, well, uh, um, let's let's look at uh, let's get into some real estate real quick. Okay. So, in real estate, we have uh, this article that I was reading where this lady Levita Harvey is well aware that the federal moratorium on evictions ends Saturday. The Las Vegas mother of two teenagers uh, lost both her jobs during the uh, corona pandemic and has been unable to pay her $900 a month rent. I'm terrified. Job offers are coming in, but they're coming in very slowly. It's the hardest thing to, uh, to see in the world when you know that you're a single mother and you have no one to turn to, and you'll be homeless. Harvey has been approved for more than $9,000 in federal rent help through a local program, but the money hasn't come through yet. More than 8,000 other renters in Nevada's Clark County are still waiting for approval. Despite billions in federal dollars available, some, con- some counties and states have been slow to dole out the money, including Nevada, which has given out over $3 million of almost $125 million available. $3 million out of $125. Yep, they're, they're really going at it. Uh, even with the moratorium in place, property owners across the country have filed almost half a million eviction petitions. Tenants really have no idea where to turn for help. They don't know if they're protected, if they're not protected. So a lot of tenants are just kind of frozen. Uh, said Jim Birchtold, an attorney and legal aid center of Southern Nevada. So this is something that we did talk about uh, on the last Coffee with the Johns is the eviction issue, right? Tenants, everything. It's a, and we said, like, yes, cities and states are providing assistance and help. The problem is how, when the hell are you going to get that assistance and that help, mm-hmm. right? And as just in this situation... She's been granted $9,000 and $900 rent. I mean, she's doing pretty damn well with nine grand, right? She's going to be able to at least catch up her payments. Start, if she can get her job, she, sees, uh, she says that job offers are coming in. So she gets a job. She can catch up her payment, keep making her payment moving forward. She'll be good to go. Yeah. But she's not getting the nine grand. And that's her that she applied already. It's been over a month. What about everybody that's waiting like everybody does to the last minute to start applying and it takes months. They're going to be out on their ass by the time that gets approved. I know. And that is an issue I see because it's also like a lot, like most houses aren't owned by institutional landlords. There are people that own one, two, three, four, five houses, maybe 10, whoever it may be. But like the majority of them, I bet, is owned by individuals. And they, they can't go on forever. To where, yes, they had assistance. To, they couldn't foreclose. Banks couldn't foreclose. But while they're waiving all the late fees on tenants, that only the, that you're not a, allowed to a, get late payment penalties. You can just get your payment in. And you have, you have to waive those. Well, are banks waiving all their late fees as well? To where if they let these foreclosures go or they say, okay, now you can start foreclosing again and they can't get the money to where it's like the, the, I don't think people inherently bad want to foreclose on these people or t- tenants to kick them out. But it's also like, I can't 
I can't keep going like this. I need income and I can't wait two, three, four. And especially like, I have no idea when you're going to get it. Yeah. It's like, um, so I'm going to pay you, but I don't know when you're going to get your well, money. And then let's talk about the fear that comes in too, is that money that's being granted. Is it purely for rent purposes or are they getting like a $9,000 check? And it's like, here you go. Hope you make the right decision. Right. Because as a landlord, at this point, like if you're a tenant that you are months behind and you're about to get a $9,000 check and it's putting up six, let's say six, 7,000 of those dollars to catch up the rent or Ooh, taking point. that nine grand and saying, yeah, I'll take the hit well, and I'll go somewhere else. A lot of these people, I'm sure, uh, like we already know the financial savviness of lower tier people more. And this is just beer numbers. Like, Lower tier people aren't good with money, and most lower tier people are renters of your lower, your middle, lower and class of people, to where they get nine thousand class, huh? Your lower tier people, you talk about lower, yeah. So you say like a middle, tier. lower, middle to low income people. Most gotcha. of them are renters, and we let's, know let's the be reason politically. Yeah, it's like let's be PC. <laughs> um, and the reason, like, and it's like, and they're not good financially, which is yeah. kind of the reason where they're at, to where they don't make the best decisions, to where. They get nine thousand dollars in their their bank accounts. Like that's them probably the most money they've ever seen in their entire life in their in one check in their bank account. They're like, I agree with you. It's like, ooh, I know I'm behind like ten months, and that nine grand's all supposed to go to you. But I'm just gonna go ahead and stay here, let you evict me, wait another month, and I'm gonna take this nine thousand dollars. I'm gonna go do something with it. Because yeah. one thing I found in a um, an article is very similar well, to yours. Well, before we move to that article, I mean, I think. Uh, when people say, well, how do you know this or that? Like, how many people have we bought houses from that got the insurance check for their roofs and oh, never replaced the roof? Yeah. Right? Prime I example mean, right there. It's like, well, you're looking at it that it's like people, when they get such, everybody, we all hope for the best. But when you get that size of check in your bank account, to your point, you've never seen that amount of money in your bank account. That is not directly going to bills in the next day or two. Like, uh, yes, yeah, well, screw the roof. Prime example, like the house that we're building right now yeah. is because of that. A house drove through the front of the house. It burned the whole house down. He got a big insurance check, cleared the lot, and didn't pay his taxes. Yeah. Obviously paid off the mortgage, and then to stop paying property taxes after 10 years, the city foreclosed on that lot. It's like, yeah, I just got $150,000 in my bank account ah uh, nah the yeah. mortgage was 80 like i get this huge chunk of money i don't have to rebuild the house like screw it i'm gonna pay that off county you can have the land back i'm not gonna pay for it and that's and the, how it goes and those are the things that you gotta anticipate especially as real estate investors i mean especially if you're looking hey i, I need to do some market i need to get some properties these are landlords like to your point i actually did a research we have uh the software prop stream that we use to pull leads and stuff like that if you search on PropStream and you search absentee homeowners that own uh, two houses or less, so you talk about your mom and pop people, like the bulk of your absentee properties are owned by one-offs. You know what I mean? Our, our, our landlords that own just one, maybe two houses. Mm -hmm. The bulk of them. Not very many of them are actually uh, landlords that own multiple homes. So you're talking about your mom and pop landlord that this is a big problem for. Yeah. 
So I was just listening to one of the guys that I like to listen to, and he, he was talking about diversification in like the stock market and stuff like that. And he's like, and this is why I harp on real estate investors, like how risky it is, because like a stock you can buy for a dollar. Mm-hmm. House you can't buy for a dollar. So your individual person has one property. It's like, what if something happens to that one property? He's like, your diversification within real estate is like, you should be doing it by across multiple houses in multiple locations across multiple states to have a quote on diversified portfolio. Because like, what if something happens to that one house? Like, we're going to use an example right now. It's like the evictions. Like, if you can't evict somebody and you have a $1,500 or $1,300 mortgage payment, you got to keep paying that thing as like your risk is extremely high. So we're like these mom and pop people. Most landlords are, are one, maybe two people uh, homes. So it becomes a. Yeah. Or, or they're what you call accidental landlords. These are people that, you know, they inherited the house or maybe it's a house that they were initially living in and they moved out to something better or different and they decided to keep it as a rental. They're not actual real estate investors. They're not people that, you're saying, oh, they, they, you know, they did the numbers, they did everything, they know what they're doing, they know how to manage tenants, they know how to manage properties. That's why a lot of the properties that we buy from absentee landlord, uh, absentee homeowners and landlords and stuff, they have such a large level of deferred maintenance, you know, yeah. because they think that, well, it's a rental, that's it, I'm good, I've, I've invested in real estate, and then it's like, well, yeah, but what have you done to keep up with the house, yeah. to take care of it, to make sure that it keeps its value, like. There's so much more to owning real estate than just simply owning real estate. So, I mean, it, I think it's an um, opportunity for a lot of investors, and I think it's a real problem that we're going to be seeing. But you have this article that I'm interested in right here on the White House. Well, I mean, there's one aspect, too, that I wanted to talk about. So it was mm-hmm. a similar article that I had to yours, but uh, they talk about, it was all about the economy and, like, the lower inflation and stuff like that. So the overall increase came... Um, as far as like the GDP increasing in the second quarter, the overall increase came to increasing personal expenditures, which rose 11.8% as consumers accounted for 69% of all activity. The personal savings rate, though, dropped sharply, tumbling $1.97 trillion from $4.1 trillion in the previous period. In one period, one quarter, wow. it went from $4.1 trillion down to $1.97 trillion. People are shopping. So to your point of like people get money and they spend it yeah. like they don't do the right thing with it. Like you should have a good savings rate. And you're talking, you spent over $2 trillion in a quarter of your savings gone just like that. So I'd be curious to know what, who spent that money, who had it, like where, where in the tier of that amount of money got spent. So that was just something, but uh, the article you were alluding to the white house calls on Congress to extend the eviction moratorium. Once again, the White House is calling on Congress to extend the moratorium on evictions that is set to expire on Saturday. Last month, a Supreme, the Supreme Court ordered permitted the moratorium to continue until the end of July. In his opinion, Justice Brett Kavanaugh wrote that the Centers of Dece- Center of Disease Control and Prevention pre- exceeded its existing statutory authority by issuing a nationwide eviction moratorium. He noted that clear and specific congressional authorization via new legislation would be necessary for the CDC to extend the moratorium past July 31st. So basically they put, we all know that there was lawsuits going against these people. They got to work through the chain to get up to the Supreme Court. And Mm -hmm. the Supreme Court ruled that the CDC does not have the authority to issue eviction moratoriums like that. So there, the law is on the people's side, but they left it in place because there's only a few weeks away. Like, you know what? 
or within three weeks. It gives them time for people to get the money out to them. We're going to let it continue, but it cannot continue past July 31st unless Congress specifically calls out that there are more terms in place. So that you have to get through Congress, which I highly doubt they're actually going to get through. Yeah. Given the recent spread of the Delta variant, including among those Americans both most likely to face evictions and lacking vaccinations, President Biden would have would have strongly supported a decision by the CDC to further extend this eviction moratorium to protect renters at this moment of heightened vulnerability. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said in a statement per the Hill. Unfortunately, the Supreme Court has made it clear that this option is no longer available. The moratorium has was extended through July 31st, and the CDC stated this is intended to be the final extension of the moratorium. But now with the variants coming back out, the economy not being where it's at, to where the administration is like, oh, we, we would have support you extending that. But the Supreme Court's like, unless you get specific legislation through the Senate and the House, the CDC does not have the authority to pass. So all the stuff that they did last year was actually technically illegal and now realizes that cannot be done again. Well, and this is something that you and I talk about how a lot of people say, no, the government can't do this. No, they won't do that again. No, it's like, you just don't know though. You know what I mean? Like a new variant came out that supposedly is tremendously worse than the original COVID, right? They, they're saying for the people that get sick, they get severely worse symptoms than the original COVID strain, right? So it's like, you just don't know what something like that is going to force the government to do. And it, whether they enact something like this, whether they force extensions, whether they force forbearance to stay, you just don't know. So you can't use your investments and your, your I guess, uh, uh, knowledge on what you're going to be doing, preparing for, on the hopes that they just can't do that again. And if they do, then what? Well, it's also one of the things like the government... <laughs> They, they overstep and then somebody has to work through the legal proceedings to realize like, hey, that was illegal. And then they got to deal with the fallout afterwards. I mean, you yeah. saw this in California to where they passed a massive gas tax and they wanted like they're taking billions and billions of dollars. And then through the court system, they finally realized like, no, you have to go get that voter approved by the voters and it needs to be on a ballot. Well, what happens after the last year worth of money that they collected? It's like, so now it's just locked up in legal proceedings. And like, so that's where it's like, they can do things and it takes quite a while for it to be undone. And then what happens once it's done? It's like, oh yeah, we illegally collected $700 billion or not seven, but like 500 billion in taxes. And what do we do with them now? So who knows? Well, I mean, if you guys are enjoying this, uh, all the information we put out and everything that we're talking about, make sure you give us that thumbs up. Uh, really helps us out. To get the word out even further. But with that being said, I did have an article that I found interesting. Was uh, Jay Z? For those of you who don't know who he is, he's a very wealthy rapper. Big um, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> my God. And uh, Will Smith back a rent-to-own firm in a one hundred and sixty-five million dollar round. So a startup that helps renters. Build credit until they can buy a place is raising $165 million from a group of investors that includes uh, Sequoia Capital, Jay-Z's Rock Nation, and Will Smith's uh, Dreamers VC. So Landis Technology uh, caters to would-be homeowners who can't afford to buy. The company purchases a house and rents it to a client until they can qualify for a mortgage. 
The client can buy it back at a predetermined price up to two years after the initial acquisition. The model is a new spin on a rent-to-owned strategy that has been employed by other companies, including Home Partners of America, which Blackstone Group uh, recently agreed to acquire for $6 billion. As part of its service, Landis provides coaching for clients on how to manage their finances to improve their credit and save the money and save the amount they need for a down payment. Financial inclusion is really important to us, an aspect of Landis that we're very proud to be part of is wealth creation for low-income Americans. And it continues with uh, Landis operates in 11 states. And uh, the company typical client is a first-time home buyer with a budget between $110,000 and $400,000. Oh. And the $165 million, which includes debt and equity, is enough to acquire roughly 1,000 homes in that range. Landis, Landis aims to convert roughly 80% of its clients from renters to buyers a rate that would far exceed traditional rent-to-own companies in the U.S. We make money when our client buys a house. If we leave money on the table, that's our problem, as they say. So I don't know what a new spin this is on uh, rent-to-own models. I mean, I think it's the fact that I think it's just mainstream. That's big company doing. Typically, right. your rent-to-own was like individual people doing it. So now we're like big companies are coming out and saying, "Oh, we're all gonna do." this and raise buy a bunch of money rent it back out to where like they just got to buy it low enough and just price all that in to where like yeah if prices keep going up over two years great for the homeowner right. because they got a predetermined thing i'm just curious like how's that going to work in places like texas where lease options and rent to own is technically illegal so how are they going to get around those aspects of the law to where it might actually make some headway and make it easier yeah. to do rent to owns in texas if a company like that were to come here with money with backing with connections and push through oh, and it's just what it is right you just got to buy the politicians i mean invest in the politicians that are going to push these laws through but my question is more of uh you have these rent to own companies doing this how does that look as far as, I mean, obviously these companies, they don't need to be profitable as we see with uh, Open Door and all this, they could be hemorrhaging money and they'll still keep getting more rounds of funding. Keep going um, for change so they're publicly traded and then leave the bag yeah, somebody else. So I would be curious to see what their actual numbers end up looking like. So if they acquire a home and they're going to rent it out, what are they renting it out for? And then what does that predetermined price look like? Right? Is it ten percent above what they bought it for? Is it more? You you get what I'm saying? Like I'm curious because, like you said, it, it, Warren Buffett said this before. If there was a systematic way of acquiring single-family residential, I would put all of my money in it. The problem is that when you're trying to buy a thousand homes, the logistics doesn't make sense, right? To acquire them at prices that make sense, at prices that we would want to acquire them for. Right? Yeah. At a price that you can buy them, maybe do some work, rent them out, and you're still good. These companies, like Open Door and everything, they tend to end up almost underwater after they buy a volume of homes. So how do they make it profitable? Like, I'm just very curious as to how their model is actually going to work as profitability goes. Or is this going to be like another Tesla where it's a, they're going to rely on funds of uh, next rounds of money, government subsidies because they're doing you know the greater good or whatever that may be. 
I mean, I, I think it's just when the more I've gotten into business and understand that stuff, it just, it just can still perplexes me of like, you constantly lose money. You lose and lose and lose and lose and lose and lose, but like people keep, you keep getting more and more and more and more and more, especially places like Open Door. Like, I don't understand why. Like, you look at that, like, their whole model is essentially flipping houses. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I guess, like, they're trying to carve out a, a niche in the market and create enough of a business model to eventually squeak out a profit. Because you look at their assets, they probably have hundreds of millions, if not billions of houses own, but they owe hundreds of millions and billions on top of those things. Plus all the overhead to run all that stuff. Or I don't get how long it can go on. And I'm, I know it's all just, they've made all their way up to big financials, big institutions, big money, wall street stuff to where there's a whole different game that's played with those things. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think it's a cool model uh, and it makes sense. And it, I think it'd be great. It's just, is it sustainable? Can you buy enough houses? Can you surface that stuff? Are you going to have enough? Are the tenants going to understand that and want to take care of that house and want to successfully exit to owning that home? Yeah. Especially at scale. Uh, to me, real estate makes sense if you hold it, but you're not essentially holding it unless they do kind of like what the rental own model has been for a lot of shady investors, where it's like, I know you won't buy the house. I know you won't qualify to buy the house later. So all I got to do is pretty much now I have an out two years. They can decide to either renegotiate with the buyer or sell the house. So at those points, it's like, oh, look, you didn't meet all the criterias that we put in place for you to qualify for this house. And prices have tripled in this area. So we're just going to go ahead and sell the house for a massive profit. Yeah. You know, uh, again, I'm not trying to throw dirt at them or anything. I, I don't know their business model. They don't, you know, there's nothing really. There's just sound bites on this, no real financials or real information that you can go off of. But those are the things that I kind of look at is as well, far it's, as it's uh, feasibility. It's very early, early, early stage startup. Cause then the name of like investing 165 million isn't a lot, especially when a you're talking about homes. buying houses and they operate in 11 States. So, it, and it's a long-term ordeal to like, is the rent you're going to get in enough to sustain the overhead to service things. And I mean, if they're good enough houses and we have a couple of them, like maintenance is very, very minimal. Yeah. Like we just kind of like, well, I mean, I had to go service the air conditioner. We might have to go patch a leak or something small, not even leaks. It's like, it's usually just like, Hey, the AC quit and they got to go over there and change the capacitor or they didn't clean the filters or something like that. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to uh, see where that goes. One thing we haven't talked about in a while, are you, are you over yeah, real estate, yeah. um, is taxes mm. and what's going on in that realm. Are those still a thing? Yeah. 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 I got to still pay mine this year for last year. <laughs> I haven't even messed with it. It's like, oh, I got till October. I'm fine. So what? Judging me for it. Um, and the title is, what are, who is this from? Um, I don't know where the article's from originally. It says, uh-oh, Joe Biden's plan to hike taxes is losing momentum. Fight may be over. President Joe Biden is campaigning hard for a second infrastructure bill that contains a number of significant tax increases on corporations and American taxpayers earning around 400000 and above, which, disclaimer, American corporations do not pay taxes. They get passed right along to the individuals. So your people under 400000 are going to pay higher prices for those. But they hide that stuff in different places. 
but the bill is swiftly losing momentum and the fight to pass a major tax hike in Biden's first term could be over per CNBC. Or like that's usually a left-leaning kind of organization and they're coming out saying that they're losing steam in this fight. With the GOP resolution against tax increases and with a handful of economists concerning that raising taxes now could risk the economic recovery, some say the outlook for administration tax plan has grown murkier in recent months. The chance of a big tax reform in the near term seems reduced, said Tony Frato, who serves as a treasury official in the George W. Bush administration. I don't want to say that the fight is over on the quite or over on that quite yet because I know that there are still proponents of that, but I think that they are hard fights, Fredo said. On the corporation side, coming out of the economic situation we've been in, you can make a case that you don't want to squelch the return of growth and job creation when there are still many millions of people out of work related to pre-COVID. Analysts do seem to suggest, according to the New York Post, that Biden's tax hikes could also hurt wages in the short term, dealing a blow to the currently recovering economy. So that's something that uh, it it is interesting, like what's going to happen in the next several years, because like we spent trillions of dollars, blew the budget all the hell across the entire world where it's like, okay, now do we raise revenue from that? We need to raise taxes to pay some of that stuff down or just raise revenues and never pay it off. Um, what are they going to do? Cause now you have big proponents on both sides being like, mm, Nope, you don't have super majorities anywhere to pass whatever they want. So they do have to give support from other places. They can only do so much under budget re- reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have some Democrats that are like, like I think it's a Joe Manchin. That's like, I'm not supporting raising the corporate tax that high. I'd support here, but nowhere near that high. So it creates a lot of contentious in the, the political spectrum of what's going to happen. So I don't know. I mean, and here's something that maybe somebody that's uh, much smarter than we are can explain to me where it doesn't make sense to me is the way I've always seen taxes is when you lower taxes, incentivize growth, right? To incentivize spending, businesses growing, people getting hired, uh, investments being made, all of that. Yeah. And you raise taxes. When you raise taxes, you kind of kill that. You know, you now your pe- businesses aren't hiring and people aren't spending and buying and all this. So you're saying we need to pay off all this debt and everything. Well, how does hurting an already hurting economy make sense? Yeah, I I don't I honestly don't understand. Well, I believe, and I know you do too. It's like the private sector should be the one doing that, not the federal government, because their idea is like the only way to do it is via growth, because more growth creates more tax infl- uh, more taxes for the federal government, for the municipalities, and everything. And it comes from growth and commerce and people actually working. Yeah, to where their aspect or the federal government, and this is on both sides. This is why I mean the big government does this, where it's like raise taxes so they can get more money and they can stimulate the economy. They control the jobs. They put the money in the investments. They do everything. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see like how this stuff uh, plays out over the next, uh, the rest of this administration and into the future of where these things really go. So, I don't know. And then keeping on that same term is, uh, where is it? There it is. 
So we talked previously about the global tax that uh, Janet Yellen wants to implement and get everybody into stop the corporate race to the bottom across the world. So 130 nations agreed to support the U.S. proposal for global minimum tax on corporations. So Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen announced Thursday that a group of 130 nations has agreed to a global minimum tax on corporations, part of a broader agreement to overhaul international tax rules. If widely enacted, the GMT would effectively end the practice of global corporations seeking out low tax jurisdictions like Ireland and the British Virgin mm-hmm. Islands to move their headquarters to, even though their customers, operations, and executives are located elsewhere. For decades, the United States has participated in a self-defeating international tax competition, lowering our corporate taxes rates only to watch other nations lower theirs in response. The result was a global race to the bottom. Who would lower their corporate rate? further and faster no nation has won this race yellen said in a statement on the accord today's agreement by 130 countries represents more than 90 percent of global's gdp to is a clear sign the race to the bottom is one step closer to coming to an end yellen's announcement did not include the actual rate at which the gmt would be set but the biden administration has pushed for at least 15 percent what's your thoughts on that and same thing I think it's uh, really messed up because I think it's uh, the big countries are bullying the little ones, right? Because the only way for little ones to compete is through taxes, is by being pretty much like, a, you know, hey, we got almost no taxes. Bring your corporations over here. Bring your manufacturing over here. Hire our people. Bring your money here. Because even though you're saying, well, the executives and all that, I get it. But you still hire locals. Those locals spend money in the states and those countries. You know, it helps the overall country. Yeah. My opinion. So you're looking at all this and it's like, yeah, I understand the US's complaint about it because you're a big player. And it's like, well, why do you go to Ireland and all these little places? You know, we want you here. So let's come together and do this. So you're kind of bullying these little countries that, what the Well, it's also one of the things like, why would anybody agree to this? But then it's also like, Oh, it represents 90% of the GDP. It's like, you don't think the biggest countries in the world saying, ah, you play nice. Otherwise we're going to really put some economic pain on you. Of course. That's exactly what it is. Tariffs, exports, imports. I mean, they control everything. That's like, if you don't agree to this, good luck getting, you know, whatever other natural resources. So it's one of those things. It's like, it's always like the little guy trying to climb the mountain and grow their country. And it's like, yeah, but no, yeah. Uh, you stay down there and we let us run everything. I mean, you can see it across like life, across cycles, across everything that uh, is, a, there is that cycle where everyone's trying somebody's pushing somebody down while somebody's trying to climb up. And it, this is a crabs. What? Crabs. Lobsters. Crabs. They're lobsters. Lobsters do that. Not crabs. I would probably do it too. People have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> There's a book we read and it, it talked about like how um, if a bunch of crabs, lobsters climb into the bait traps and everyone piles in because they see somebody else do it while the lobster tries to climb out, the rest pull it down and actually rip off its claws and stuff like that so it doesn't get out of the net. Yeah. Crabs. Lobsters. But yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things, again, I don't... It does it plus I mean it goes further than that. So let's say the global tax rate is fifteen percent, right? Corporate tax rate fifteen percent across the board. Well, it also it, where it matters as well is employment, right? So if you come here, like kind of how we've been looking at uh, outsourcing, so much of the people of uh, the 
positions we're looking at is pretty much going to come from like the Philippines and other places like that. Cause we're looking here in America, it doesn't matter what you pay. You can't find people that want to do the job. Right. But over there, we're paying five, six dollars an hour, and they are freaking workhorses. We give them an we give them an opportunity to work more, and they're like, "Oh my god, thank you so much for exactly. letting me work more." It's like, "You're welcome." Yeah, they're, yeah. You're like, "Hey, can you work extra today?" Oh my god, thank you. It's like, really okay. So you're looking at all this, and you're looking at that. So uh, uh, how much you pay for employee and all, and those inf- that fact. Okay, so you increase the corporate tax rate, so Ireland is, has to tax the same that the U.S. does. But still, it might still benefit you to go there anyway because employees there, the capabilities, that all those things are probably still more beneficial than coming to the U.S. and hiring an American at like $30 an hour just so they work versus hiring somebody over there for $10 an hour. Yeah. Right? So I think those are still where you're going to be competitive and where it's still going to be a competition. But... I just thought that was a very interesting thing as you and I, we've discussed, you know, how we expand, how we grow. And it makes it so hard to do that in the States, especially with the current job market, with how everything has been. That's just been so difficult to hire people because everybody's like, they want more benefits than the job they're willing to do. Where it's like, well, what do I get here? What do I get there? What do I get this? And I'm like, okay, you get all this, but what do I get then? Like, yeah. are you gonna work? Yeah. Oh. Are you gonna Are you gonna produce? Like, yeah. That's one of the things. Like, I remember this happened. Man, when I first started working here, we had an intern that worked for us, and on the job that she was getting paid to, to on the job, she's getting paid to be there and do. She was researching other companies that she could work for after she graduated, and which one had the better benefits. And was just looking at like, which one pays more? Which one gives more time off? Which one gives more sick leave? Which one gives more mat? And was looking at things like that. It's like, you aren't even doing your job. You're just looking at like, where can I go and work and get the best benefits? Like, yeah. or just go hang out essentially. Like, ha- like she didn't get hired back and we didn't hire her for sure to where it's like, you, like, you're not doing your job using, we're paying you to be here and you're researching, to, going to, to work for other companies. Like, does that really make sense to you? But that's the nature of the some of the American workforce. Um, and it's becoming very difficult to find people outside of that. Cause I know a lot of our contractors, uh, they're all saying like, man, nobody just wants to work. Even paying them 200 bucks a day. Like pfft, they're like, nah, this job pays 150, and I don't have to start two hours or two hours earlier. Like you do. Yeah. Like, ah, I'm just going to stick over here. So it's like, yeah. well, I mean, and, and just going back to kind of summarizing a lot of the issues is, you know, employment is an issue, which is causing supply chains to be an issue, which is causing more inflation, which causes prices to go up. Rents are going, I mean, rents are going up. How much did the rent go up on one of our rentals from last uh, year to this it went, year? It went up several hundred dollars from one year to the next. I mean, you know, yet, yet to be determined, but yeah, it, uh, yeah, it's just, you, you're looking at things like that and, you know, home prices are shot up through the roof, right? People are overpaying for homes. So you're looking at all these, you know, you start getting all of these data points, you start compiling everything and you're, as a business owner, you got to ask yourself, like, is this the right time to expand? If so, how do I expand? And it still makes sense so I can sustain it. Because a lot of people are so quick to hire, but one of the pain points that you and I have of hiring too quickly is we don't want to fire. You know what I mean? Like we just... 
I would hate to hire somebody and have to fire them. It's not fun, not nice. And, and I just, honestly, it's not something that you look forward to, you know, like they put, I, I feel like they put their trust in you and then you fail them. And I will, I take hiring very serious. It's like, uh, you know, what can we do? Where does it make sense? But then when you look at all these things, all this inflation, all of these factors, supply chains, it makes the future so uncertain, especially mm -hmm. for us in our business and construction and renovations and all this. It's like, man, I just don't know. Like we need a project manager, but then it's like, we also need more projects and then we'll get, if we get more projects and then it's like, yeah, but are we going to keep this, you know, are we going to be able to sustain all these projects? Does it make sense? Does it even make sense to stay in renovations at this point? Yeah. Should we move to a different area of real estate? Like, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of things that we're thinking about as business owners. It's like, you look at all these factors and it's level of uncertainty for business owners is pretty well, high Well, I mean, right one now. thing that I, it's kind of popped in my head there as we're talking, and uh, I realized when they talk about that savings rate dropping so much in half in one quarter. So it's like, how much of these things right now is like everyone's still got savings rates, so they're willing to work less and they don't know how to budget. They don't track their expenses or it's like, ah, I like working here better. Yes, the pay is less, but I, I'm okay. Yeah. Realizing that like, yeah, because I have $3,000 in my bank account, not realizing like every month it gets lower and lower and lower and lower and lower. And eventually it's going to be like, okay, I need to start. I want to progress. I want to grow. I want to get bigger. I want to go experience things. So I need to go out and work and work and work and work. So I think after 2020, like everything happened with COVID and all that stuff, all the money went out to now it's like this year is going to be kind of a do to do kind of lay back and chill, relax, enjoy my life a little more. But I think it's going to very, I don't know, quickly or slowly, depending on how your judge of time is, uh, revert back to, we need to go to work. We need to get out there. We need to go do these things or like, how long is it going to take? I don't know. Well, but that's we why even with all these things, I was thinking about it with you know, all these states that they cut unemployment early, the benefits, the added benefits, all this. And it's like, well, we're not seeing a spike in people looking for work. And then I was thinking, I was like, well, the other factor to think about is forbearance periods are still in place. Eviction moratoriums are still in place. All of these people are so have, you know, so much more time where their biggest bills, their mortgage and their rent, they're not having to make. Mm -hmm. So them having to rush to go get a job, it's not that big of an urgency because they have been getting unemployment, they have been getting stimulus money. And when they haven't been paying their mortgage or their rent, like, well, that motivation is not really that high at the moment. Where I do see it is as we start getting into the fall and winter months, that's where I, I think we might see a spike in people like desperately looking for work instead of benefits because it's like, hey, I, you know, moratoriums are over, forbearance periods are over, you know, not paying your utilities is over. All these things are over. And it's like, okay, I'm not going to go live on the street. Yeah. You understand? Like I need to get something. Yeah. I, don't I think care really what that is. 2020 uh, is going to be a 2022. God, that's weird to say. Yeah. 2022 um, is going to be a year where like, I think a lot of people, cause then it's several months after the more terms that ended, you've started working through all that backlog. You've worked through the foreclosures and stuff like that. You've seen all that stuff come out, the repercussions of that. So I could definitely see um, those things start to, Weighing well, on people not wanting to work or not necessarily wanting to work, but just being like, I want a better job and realizing that your lifestyle job that you're looking for doesn't exist. So I, you're going to have to go back and. I also feel like people right now, they are kind of catching up 
on everything they missed last year. And I think after that catch-up kind of dies off a little bit, we're going to start seeing things normalize a little bit more. Because I'm seeing right now, like, people are traveling like crazy, right? They're flying everywhere. They're traveling. They're going on vacation. They're buying up everything. They're, you know, you go to any river, any park on the weekends, whenever, and they're packed. People are. are everywhere. People are just, they were saying like airports, you know, airlines are packed, everything. Oh. So you're, you're looking at that. I was like, well, yeah, I think this is one of those things of like, uh, um, you know, you got your freedom back and you're using the hell out of that freedom. I mean, it doesn't matter when the hell you go to a restaurant, they're packed. Yeah. You know, you got to wait everywhere you go. It doesn't matter what time you go. Yeah. You know, so I think when that kind of people got that out of their system, this summer and everything that they're just getting all that traveling and everything out of their systems that they're like, Oh, okay. It felt great. You know, then they're going to probably come out of that daydream phase and look around and be like, Oh shit. I just, my savings rate went down. (laughs) My net worth has gone down. It's become an issue. And that's why I think the savings rate has been taking a dive. It's it's so funny where people are like, Oh, you need to give more money to the poor and tax rich. It's like, if you, I heard this on uh, bet David's we're like, if you give everybody, put them all in equal a million dollars, Every single person, nobody has a dollar more, dollar less. It's like, give it a few, like a decade or a few generations, and that money's gonna be right back where it was before, and everyone's gonna be right back to where they were at the beginning. So it's like, you gave all those people the money, savings rate went through the roof, and instead of saving, they went out and spent it. And where'd that money go? They went back to the business, back to the corporations, and back to wealthy people that control those things. There's like, that doesn't work. Uh, it just go, it just flows right back up because like it's the habits and the education I think we talk about. It comes back down to yes. education. So I don't know, but talking about that, about air travel, uh, American Airlines warns about jet fuel shortages around the U.S., American Airlines on Wednesday, Monday said it might have to add stops to certain flights because of fuel delivery delays at some small and mid-sized airports and asked pilots to save fuel when possible. The latest headache during a surge in summer travel. The carrier said the carrier said airlines, including American, have experienced the delays due to lack of truck drivers, trucks, and fuel supply. They asked that pilots to use fuel saving strategies such as taxiing with a single engine. Which to me, I'm like, why wouldn't you try to save fuel all the time by using like, if you can save fuel by using one engine versus two, wouldn't that affect your bottom line at the end of the day? Cause you're spending, always spending less on fuel. Maybe it does more damage on planes. I don't know. Do they uh, take longer to get somewhere if they're using one engine versus two? I don't know. I guess that's a question for our pilot Andrew. friend. Uh, Americans said that the flight disruption because of fuel shortages have so far been minimal and that it hasn't had to cancel any flights as a result of, of them. The fuel supply issues have sprung up during a surge in domestic leisure travel demand, which U.S. Airlines ex- executives say is near or above 2019 levels. Air travel, to your, what your point is, like air travelers have also faced hours-long wait hold times for airline customer services as long as lines at airport restaurants and other vendors due to staffing shortages. Airlines urge employees to take, urged employees to take leaves of absences or buyouts to reduce labor costs during the pandemic last year, but travel demand rebounds faster than many airlines executives expected and carriers are scrambling to hire and train workers. We're like, you think about this, what, what would have happened if they hadn't bailed out 
the airlines and gave them how many billions of oh, dollars yeah. and stuff like that, how much worse this would have been, could have been if that had have happened. We're like, we were all mad. It's like they're bailing out these airlines. I know some of the airline carriers are like, what? We lived through 2008 and 2000s. We got fired for and laid off for this stuff, but now you're paying us, to, paying them, reducing our benefits and paying people to stay here and work on like. But now they're seeing why, like, where it's like, shit, if we would have lost 40% of our workforce, like, we really would have been hurting because of the things that you have to do to be able to, you can't just stop flying a plane and immediately start flying again six months later. Like, there's trainings that you have to keep up and there's a certain number of hours you have to fly and land, uh, safety protocols. But it's not like that. riding a bike. You just muscle memory. I thought you just pushed a button forward and pulled it back yeah, and went up and down, dude. left and right. Like put it on I autopilot, flew, dude. I mean, come on, yeah. The pretty much planes pretty much fly and land themselves nowadays. Yeah, so. I, like I flew a flight simulator in high school. It was easy. It was like <laughs> that was I, fun. I, I flew it upside down to the ground yeah. a few times, but I was like, can I do a loop de loo? And yeah. Well, so you're saying that it was good that these bailouts happened for the airline industries? I'm not saying the good or bad. I'm just saying like think of what would have happened. If they hadn't given them that money, but what what would have been the problem? Like, now for obviously, I understand for the airlines, but for society, like, what do you think would have been the problem with that? Uh, the airlines would have gone out of business, probably, right? They would have had. I don't a know. Huge they would have gone out. Of, gone out of business. They would have just laid off a shitload of labor. Okay. And now, when things wind back up, you don't have like right now. Like, I would uh, prices to fly would probably be astronomical. So it put people down. But now you look at it, it's like UPS, FedEx, and Amazon. They all have their own flights or, or their own um, yeah. schools and stuff. Like that. So they fly people. They fly products. And there's a lot of times I know big airlines carry products for them inside their – they ship via the commercial airline industry. To so think like we're already having supply chain issues. And it's like, and now if you would have added that to it as well, what would have happened? That, where, like, that connection. Yeah. That connection to where it's like, yes, the airlines would have like either gone to business or not, but like you would have had just a drastic shortage of pilots to fly people around, products around. I know they use well, um, vaccine distribution. An, but wouldn't you have had an excess of pilots? Because I mean, these other airlines that fly mostly people just from, you know, vacationing and stuff like that. All their pilots are unemployed at this moment. So then, then Amazon, UPS, FedEx, all these people, now they have a plethora of pilots to choose from that are looking for work. So then maybe wouldn't that made it more convenient? I don't know. I, I'm just thinking like, you know, what real? yeah, it would have sucked for United and American Airlines and those, in, but it's like, what would have been the actual problem? And then what could have, come out of that because whenever you have massive problems like that that's when entrepreneurship flourishes and when innovation flourishes something happens so it's like what would have been this well i mean the airline industry is heavily regulated as well for yeah. by the faa to where like new businesses come out all right so a new airline comes out it's like but that costs billions and billions of dollars investment it, you still have to train pilots to where like if they haven't landed a flight in so many days, they have to go back and do all kinds of simulation and training to get their certifications back to where like that is a big issue to where like, I think last year when they laid everybody off, they kept them on the payroll so they could still train them. So when things did come back, they can be uh, ready to go to where like, I don't know what would have happened if uh, they hadn't. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's an interesting premise. Do you have another article that you want to touch on? Let me see. Uh, 
Nah, you got something you're wanting to because, close out with? Well, I wanted to have kind of like a little discussion. So you and I both listened to uh, Patrick Bet David. He has uh, you know, a lot of interviews and stuff like that that he does. He's a very good podcast. And he does the the PBD podcast, right? Where they kind of they kind of do what we do. They they talk about, but but more it's of not a, as good. No, no, they sometimes no, no, get no. into gossip and talk about dumb shit. But anyway, within all this, Patrick came out and he said that he puts up five million dollars to have Trump and Obama sit down on a long form conversation, like a couple hours. And go over what are the best course of actions? How can they come together to fix the U.S.? So he says that he will give each candidate two and a half million to sit down for a few hours and have this conversation. Because he feels that his, his reasoning for doing it is that he believes that Trump does love America. And Obama does love America. Yeah. They just have their own, their separate beliefs, but all in all, they both love America. So yeah. he's like, if you both love America, then can we not sit down and try to come up with a better compromise? Because one point that he made that I agree with is it's becoming more and more divisive. Everything is just like picking sides consistently. Like you cannot agree to get the COVID vaccine if you're a Republican. Right, that's like, or wear a mask, like, or, or that, wear a mask. Masks right? are even well, then, more. Where it's like, wait, how did health become a left or right wing discussion? Right, it, it's so many of these things that's just become so divisive, so political that it's like, oh, if you wear a mask, oh, then you got to be a liberal, you got to be a Democrat. It's like, or maybe you care about your health. I mean, what, when, when, the, you know, or if you you respect, you know, uh, gay people or black people, oh, then you got to be a liberal. It's like. No, I'm just a bless you. I'm just a human being, right? Like I support and respect other human beings. Like it doesn't mean that I'm one way or another. If I want to have a gun, oh, uh, then you got to be all these right wing nut jobs. Like yeah, no, right? So it's become very divisive. Where his thing is like, can these two people come together and come up with a solution? Here's my thoughts on this. From PBD's part, I believe. That this is just um, an attention grab. I think it would be extremely good for his brand. Oh, yeah, that's why he's doing it. Because whether investment. he really believes this is good for the country, I, can, I, I do not believe that he's that naive and stupid to think that that would actually go anywhere. You know what I mean? I believe like having Trump and Obama sit down and talk, aside from entertaining... I don't think it's well, neither worth one of a them. goddamn like, thing. No, like, and it's like, what are the chances of this happening? I put it 99 to 1, it not happening. And with I, enough money behind it, I don't know. Two and a half million dollars? Like, to Trump, two and a half million dollars yeah, is nothing. Yeah, but nothing's to say that they can't get together and get with more money people and raise more money to give until they hit a number that they, each of them are going to say yes. It's just you like, know? I just don't think those two people can stand each other. Those two personalities to where, like, I don't think they can have a it basically turned into a debate. Uh, I agree. And it's like, we all watched the debates and how those went. And it's just like, it was just like, ah, and I don't think, getting... I don't think in that regard, if it was a debate, in my opinion, I think Obama would win because I don't think Trump knows how to debate. He knows how to bully and how to push and how to be obnoxious. Right. Well, I think Obama is more strategic. 
yeah. with the way he carries himself, the way he presents his ideas and everything, where he'll make, I think, Trump look like a freaking idiot, right? And it's like, I, I just don't think that's a good match. I don't think anything useful will come out of it. I think, yeah. would it be like a freaking pay-per-view event? A hundred percent. You understand? Like, I think that's a great money grab for PBD, and I think that's a great for ratings, great for reach, and all of that, you know? Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, even him just putting out, it's, I'm willing to pay $5 million to get that on there. I'm sure a lot of people are like, ooh, that would be interesting. So I'm sure that got him a good oh, amount yeah. of money in uh, viewership as well. Um, to where I, I would, I don't know if I'd like to see it, but I I would be great to see somebody, two former presidents like that, have a calm collective situation I, I but I, it's like is the conversation is it too divided to where it's like there isn't a way to the two unquote, that fix i it. would not mind seeing sit down would be somebody like obama and mike pence like i was very impressed by mike pence when he did his debates against uh kamala yeah the way he presented ideas how calm he was how you know like i i, I gained a shit ton of respect for that guy at that point i was like you are more presidential yeah. I think Mike Pence and Obama, that would be a very That'd intellectual argument, uh, you know, discussion, talk ideas. I think they're both respectful enough where they wouldn't be result down to like name calling and like just trying to throw over, overstepping trash. and yelling at each other. Yeah. Like, Look what you did. Look what I did. You had negative GDP for this song. Look what yeah. your last quarter. Like, So, yeah, when I heard PVD doing that, I just I looked at it purely from marketing. I was like, oh, that's smart. I was yeah. like, I see what you're doing. But then when he's like, we should do it. I, we, should, I looked we, should, at, we should do it. We'll put up a thousand dollars. I I did five hundred dollars for each oh, person. Oh no no! I put it. I put it in there. I commented on his post. I was like, I'll contribute. No, I'm saying, coffee with the Johns. We'll host uh, Trump and Obama. Oh, yeah. We'll pay a thousand dollars. Yeah, they won't do it for five mil, but they'll do it for. Yeah, anybody else want a crowdfund and throw in ten yeah, bucks? We'll see we what we can get. Um, we'll start a GoFundMe account. But yeah, one of the things that where he lost a little bit of my respect is that he's like, oh, I'm in the hospital and, you know, his daughter was born and he's like, and I looked at her and he's like, are you going to be able to achieve, the achieve dream. your dreams like I did and this and that? I was like, Ooh. oh, stop being so fucking dramatic. I'm like, come on. I was like, anybody could have said the same exact thing when you were born versus when oh, they were with, kids. With an article, a, a I didn't know where to felt put it in here, but I found it very interesting, and that was a perfect um, segue into it. Many Americans think kids will be financially worse off than their parents. The coronavirus pandemic has made parents pessimistic about their children's future. More than two-thirds of U.S. respondents said that they think today's children will be financially worse off as adults than their parents, up from 60% in 2019. Only 32% think children will be better off. Children of the pandemic faced a double whammy of virtual learning and an economic recession. When schools shut down, classrooms shifted online. As a result, they suffered significant learning losses, which translates into reduction in lifetime earnings, studies have shown. Over the past several decades, there has been a rapid deterioration of the American dream, which has long understood as a commitment that each generation should do better than the one that preceded it, Grusky, uh, whoever wrote um, yeah, with that article. Several studies back that up. For instance, a report by the nonpartisan think tank New America found millennials earning 20% less than the baby boomers did at the same age. Young adults in America today are not on a much lower trajectory in their wealth accumulation than their predecessors. 
are on a much lower trajectory. Mm-hmm. The paper stated dramatically so. And they did have a, a chart in here that was very interesting to where like, and it's not just like this generation, like, no, this has been going on since the 1950s about um, how many percent of their children are living better than their previous generation. Just so you can kind of take a look at that, like what that looked like. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just fucking dive. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, anybody could look at that. I mean, you can just see that screen. I don't know. Nope. I figured to give it a shot, but it's gone from 90% in 1940s of percentage of children living better off than the previous generation all the way down to 50% in uh, today. So, I mean, it goes way back to where you have that data of are they earning more than the previous generation? And this has been on a constant dive all the 1960s. Then it went up a little bit in the 70s and it's just been steadily falling ever since. So it is something that... uh, is worrisome and to where like PBD's aspect of it is like, is he right to be kind of worried about that? Looking at the way things are going I and don't how things so. have gone. I don't know because I think you're comparing it to different eras of, uh, of people, right? Where they're, they're saying, you know, Oh, how these people are and everything, but people were different back then. There were different work ethics. There were different, uh, incentives like what we talked about last week about why it's so hard to hire people people are not so much searching for money as they are for quality of life so it's not so much like back in the day it was money especially you talk about world war ii era and all the great depression and everything that happened right money was at the center of everything yeah that's where we had the boom because everybody was just like i want a job i want to make money i want to have a lifestyle i want to own a house yeah. It was very materialistic. It was very, you know, what do you own? Who are you? What do you have? And since then, it's been growing more and more into now it's just, you know, well, what's your life like? What's your mental health like? What's all this like? So when you're looking at all that, I think it's not the the right way to look at it. And then the next thing I look at is as a parent, what the hell are you doing to set your kids up? You understand where more and more parents rely on what what is the government going to do? What are the school systems going to do? How are you going to raise my kids? How are you going to educate my kids? It's like, well, what are you going to do for your How are you going to teach your kids about money? How are you going to set your kids up? How are you going to teach them about personal responsibility, doing what's right, getting a job, holding a job, showing up, being responsible? Like, how are you teaching them all of this? Or are you just expecting that society will do their best? You know, so... I don't know when it when they talk about like you know future generations being worse off. I do agree, just because our generation, our previous generations, they were just too soft. They were too soft. They didn't have the right, I believe, uh, work previous ethics. generations or the future generations are like what was it right before us? Like the baby boomers and the what was it Gen X or whatever? They raised this generation that we have now. Yeah. Right and. This generation, a lot of them are very soft. Yeah. Soft people are going to raise more soft people. You understand? So it's kind of like, you know, until shit gets really bad and those soft people need to toughen up and then they'll raise tough people. Right. So it's kind of like that circle of life of generations go. It's like, yeah, it was gradual, it's substantially better and it got worse because people uh, just got soft. It's like tough times raise strong men no strong men yeah. create tough or great times great times breed soft men soft men create 
bad times. Yep. It's like it's that circle. So you look out of it coming out of the Great Recession, uh, a Great Depression, and World War II. That was a very tough time, and you have some very tough people that came out of that, and they created a very great time. Yeah, women working at the, factories, building tank. I mean, like yeah, yeah. Some tough women. Yeah, it's like, and also like you look at the decade of the Great Depression. Yeah. to where it was a very tough time to created some very great times in the boom after that and now it's kind of created that cycle that's coming back down because around. you had people that were willing to do anything and everything to survive right and yeah. then because they were willing to do anything and everything they built amazing things and then, then all these ama- amazing things made people not have to do everything and anything to survive so then they built Things that made you weaker and softer. And it's like now these people don't know what the hell they are. Well, I mean, you think about it, like the 1940s and 50s, like you didn't have as many billionaires and millionaires and you didn't have like the the, the mega yachts and the Instagram. So people knew about that stuff to where yeah. you see it all over the place. Where now everyone dreams is like, oh, I want that. And to where you just don't have that kind of aspir you have more of those aspirations nowadays but it's just so hard to attain but we're back in like the 40s 50s and 60s you didn't have that stuff like you came out of the boom with the rest of the world being devastated so well yeah even uh vows who says i disagree you can literally do anything for money today from playing video games to making ugly cakes on youtube yeah she's stuck on this lady that makes Dusting cakes on like ugly looking cakes on YouTube, and she has like a massive following. Uh, even though all they do is make fun of her cakes, but um, it it is one of those things that's like it's just that like people, and I I know how everybody's gonna take it, but I don't give a damn. Well, the truth, it's like oh my god, I gotta work two jobs just to eat. I'm like, man, you're eating. Yeah. But I shouldn't have to work two jobs. Then fucking do something. Instead of complaining that you shouldn't have to do two jobs, then go do something that makes you not have to work two jobs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, why are you crying? Like, who gives a damn? And well, that's why whenever, to- whenever these politicians get up and they're like, we need to stop this. How is it that an American working two, three jobs cannot have this kind of... Li-? I'm like... I'm sorry, what responsibility is that of yours? Oh, exactly. And I look at it, it's like, okay, but what am I supposed to find the time? I have two kids. Why'd you have kids if you couldn't afford them? Ooh. Blender. Outdoors is like, if you want to personal responsibility, personal responsibility yeah. the choices that you made led you to the position you're in. The choices that you make are going to lead you out of the position you're in or keep you there. Well, it, it and, all comes down to the choices of you, how you handle yourself, yeah. how you handle And I mean, it all comes down to literally, um, I think financials is a big thing that our country does not teach you anything about yeah. they're like who taught you how to balance a checkbook or what a credit card was like i found out the hard way i was like son of a bitch like nobody ever taught me that like but no i know how to freaking figure the pythagorean theorem Woohoo! because i use that all the time but i yeah real life lessons like oh they leave it on the parents to teach and i was like well you go on too long and you the way the economy is structured with the marketing tactics to get credit cards out there the banks don't want you to be smart they make money stock market makes money the government makes money off of you being financially illiterate so and kind of like on a final thought on this to wrap it all in they talk about personal responsibility for your fellow man to get vaccinated what about personal responsibility for your fellow man to understand your finances so you don't drag down the whole country and drag down your fellow man yeah. You understand, like, why aren't we forcing that on people, but yet we're forcing a vaccine? 
why aren't we forcing financial education, personal responsibility, but we're forcing this? You understand? Like, I think this has much bigger repercussions than a vaccine does. You know what I mean? Because, you know, I mean, let's just look at what's happening. You know what I mean? So when we talk about personal responsibility and love for your fellow man and all that, it's like, well, you understanding how to manage your finances and how manage to manage your debt, manage, you help out your fellow man so much more. Yeah. Just think about that. Like if we went through a generation, a decade of like people being like financially responsible, like how Ooh. much further that growth would go? Well, I mean, the government wouldn't want it because. No, they, I mean, they don't make credit. money off of that. Oh, yeah, they need more credit. And that's what I said. Yeah. That's the reason we're in the position we're in is like coming out, like you look back generations of that is why the expansion of the credit markets, like they make money off of you staying in debt, massive amounts of debt and consumer debt, the bad debt. They're like, yeah, we'll finance this brand new TV for you at $50 a month. And you end up paying instead of $300, $450, $500 for the thing. At the end of it, it was like, but buy it today, borrow from your future self. And you get so far into that. And it's so painful to work yourself out of that. Well, and you build the habits of always living with money you haven't made yet. You know what I mean? That your life, everything in your life, it's like you actually don't own any of this. Yeah. Everything is in the future. You've already spent money you haven't even made right now. I have a, I have a perfect example. Like I, I have a, a distant family member. And uh, they're selling their house and they're both in income assisted, not assisted living facility, but income rent assistant apartment or something like that. And they had a house and they moved out of it because it was, and then they sold it. And uh, they didn't get, this is in like central Iowa somewhere. So it's not like values are worth that much out there. And they have other debts and other things that they need to pay for. And they're going to get the money from the sale. And they're like, well, but yeah, but we want to go on a vacation. And like, <laughs> yeah. like you have all these things. Like if you yeah. just paid off that freaking debt, save the card, the damn card payment in five years, you will afford to do that without being on credit. It's like, but like you, that everyone is so okay. short-sighted yep. that it's like, I'm thinking about today, not five years in the future. That's, that's why we have retirement crisis. That's why we have savings crisis. That's why we have uh student loan crisis. Like why we have so much of that stuff. Cause nobody understands what these things mean. And most people just stick their head in the sand. They're like, I don't want to learn it. Well, and it's and too it's hard. That, I don't, I'm not good at math. Love. It's like, it's a freaking, it's like breathing, yeah. man. Like you need to know how to operate finances. What's well, that love of instant gratification? The reason why so many people don't succeed in real estate, because what we talk about all the time, you got to build something first before you can start reaping from it. And nobody likes that. Nobody yeah. wants to hear that. Everybody wants to get into wholesaling and flipping and everything because they want money right now, this second, today. And it's like, well, you're always going to be fighting for that money right now, this second, today, because you're never thinking about, well, okay, this is great, but what do I do tomorrow? You know what I mean? How do I make sure that later on I can not work as hard and still make some money? It's like, oh, it's okay. I'll worry about that later. And it's like, well, that later never. Yeah. So, well, with that said, people, I think uh, that was a good uh, finishing uh, rant that we went on there. So, remember... Make sure you subscribe and hit that thumbs up and share this with family and friends. We believe that uh, everything we're putting out here definitely helps you to become a better investor and hopefully overall human being. Better person. Yeah. So with that being said, come back and join us next Friday, 8 a.m. We're here every Friday morning. 
So with that being said, we will catch you all next week.